If you're tired of these promos, supporters get the podcast early and ad-free. Just go to donate.bogosity.tv for the links to sign up. Welcome to the Bogosity Podcast for the week of March 14, 2021. The podcast that invented the inflatable anchor. This is your host, Shane Killian. Let's double indemnify the news of the bogus. And here I was, naively thinking that getting a vaccine for COVID might mean the end of all this nonsense is in sight, but it seems the government keeps finding a way of screwing up that, too. We've talked about governments being so incompetent that vaccine stores go to waste in freezers, and we even talked about vaccines going bad because government won't let them give vaccines to people who aren't on the approved list. What could be stupider, you ask? How about Italy actively blocking a shipment of the AstraZeneca vaccine to Australia? No, you're not allowed to send out a vaccine to a virus responsible for a global pandemic. This story was verified by Reuters from two different sources, a third from the Financial Times, and confirmed to CNBC by an EU official. The EU has been under a lot of pressure for not securing enough vaccines. So in response, they've placed controls on the vaccine trade. Because that makes sense! In any event, it's hardly AstraZeneca's fault that the EU didn't order enough and took too long to approve giving out the vaccines it did manage to get. It's also not their fault that the lockdowns resulted in supply chain issues for necessary goods needed by the AstraZeneca plants in the Netherlands and Belgium, which resulted in fewer doses being delivered than ordered. In January, the company said it would deliver 9 million additional doses in the first quarter to try and make up for it. They said they hoped to make even further strides in the predicted 90 million dose shortfall by the end of the second quarter, when they were due to have finished delivering 180 million doses. A spokesman for the EU said the EU should end up with more than enough doses to meet its targets as long as deliveries from other suppliers are met. The same problems plaguing the EU's receipt of the AstraZeneca vaccine are also affecting their shipments of the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines as well. Other vaccines are available, but the EU hasn't approved them yet, even though they're already being used in the US and elsewhere, and even by some EU member states such as Hungary. In proportion to the population, the EU has only delivered one dose for every three in the U.S. and every four in the U.K. But, of course, politicians not only need to point the finger of blame, but also appear to be doing something about it. That's so much better for them than just letting competent people solve the problem. So Italy blocked shipments from AstraZeneca's U.S.-owned plant near Rome from being sent to Australia. What Australia is supposed to do now, they didn't say. But we're all in this together, remember? The stupidest thing about it is that EU countries, including Italy, are already sitting on hundreds of thousands of doses from AstraZeneca that they haven't used. A lot of the delay came from France and Germany, who didn't even approve the vaccine until the first week in March. France has so far only administered about 16% of the doses it had received up to that point, while Italy and Germany only used around 21%. For the love of Mike, how much does government need to screw up the COVID response before people will lose their increasingly irrational faith in it? If
If you're looking for ways to support this channel, but you don't have any spare cash and you can't stand advertisements, you can do so by generating your own cryptocurrency. Use the links at the bottom of the description to listen to the podcast and all of my videos on BitTube.tv or LBRY.tv to get cryptocurrency for the creator and yourself. Or if you listen to the podcast at the podcast page, you'll also generate crypto. You can also go to airtime.bogosity.tv to get the airtime extension and generate crypto for yourself and the creators on the web anywhere you go, including my YouTube channel. Get five tubes free just for installing the extension and signing up, and then simply browse the web as normal. Easily monetize your favorite creators and yourself with cryptocurrency without advertising on BitTube.tv or LBRY.tv or with the Airtime extension at Airtime.Pagosity.tv. From the beginning, we've been pointing out how unscientific lockdowns are and predicting many of the problems they're now shown to be causing. Of course, we're not prophets. All we did was listen to what was at the time the scientific consensus. Now, by all appearances, that consensus has shifted overnight to being, yay, lockdowns. But that's only because, as we've covered, scientists standing up for the conclusions of the long-standing data have been silenced, like the scientists behind the Great Barrington Declaration, including Stanford University Professor of Medicine Jay Bhattacharya. He recently called the COVID lockdowns, quote, the biggest public health mistake we've ever made, and said that, quote, the harm to people is catastrophic. As of the Friday before this podcast posted, the declaration has signatures from over 13,000 medical and public health scientists and over 41,000 medical practitioners. In the interview where Bhattacharya made the claim, he said that two facts were behind the declaration, quote, one is that people who are older have a much higher risk from dying of COVID than people who are younger. And that's a really important fact because we know who is most vulnerable. It's people that are older. So the first plank of the Great Barrington Declaration, let's protect the vulnerable. The other idea is that the lockdowns themselves impose great harm on people. Lockdowns are not a normal way to live. Of course, although proposal is about the scientific consensus of quarantining the sick and the targeted protection of the vulnerable, the pro-lockdown people keep strawmanning them as wanting a free-for-all and to let the virus kill grandma. Now you tell me, which side sounds more scientific to you? He also said, quote, It's also not very equal. People who are poor face much more hardship from the lockdowns than people who are rich. And in a follow-up email to Newsweek, he wrote, I stand behind my comment that the lockdowns are the single worst public health mistake in the last hundred years. We will be counting the catastrophic health and psychological harms imposed on nearly every poor person on the face of the earth for a generation. At the same time, they have not served to control the epidemic in the places where they have been most vigorously imposed. In the U.S., they have, at best, protected the non-essential class from COVID, while exposing the essential working class to the disease. The lockdowns are trickle-down epidemiology. He recently co-authored the paper, Assessing Mandatory Stay-at-Home and Business Closure Effects on the Spread of COVID-19, published in the European Journal of Clinical Investigation. The paper found, quote, we do not question the role of all public health interventions or of coordinated communications about the epidemic, 
but we failed to find an additional benefit of stay-at-home orders and business closures. The data cannot fully exclude the possibility of some benefits. However, even if they exist, these benefits may not match the numerous harms of these aggressive measures. More targeted public health interventions that more effectively reduce transmissions may be important for future epidemic control without the harms of highly restrictive measures. Governors in Texas and Mississippi have announced the end of their statewide mask mandates and allowing a majority of their businesses to reopen. The pro-lockdown people have responded by calling them murderers and even suggested withholding the vaccine from them. Again, you tell me, which side sounds more scientific to you? The lockdown has destroyed something like 60% of black-owned businesses. Unemployment has skyrocketed. Suicide, alcoholism, domestic abuse, all up. And who do you think is suffering the most from all that? The great and the good, or poor and working class people? The so-called public health professionals responsible for this fiasco are generally not physicians, not working in the hard sciences, or even economics, and let's face it, no one with any more than a remedial knowledge of biology, biochemistry, epidemiology, or economics would have thought that you could control a virus with lockdowns, especially not with severe costs elsewhere. Whereas Bhattacharya has both an MD and a PhD in economics. He has published research in epidemiology and healthcare policy, so he understands concepts like herd immunity, which the public health flunkies have spent a year trying to deny like anti-vaxxers. As an economist with the Rand Corporation, he knows that every policy has unintended consequences and costs incurred on third parties. And he knows how to consider these costs when evaluating whether a certain policy is beneficial or not. Just keep asking yourself this question whenever you hear lockdowns and mask mandates being discussed. Which side sounds more scientific to you? If you're on the Wi-Fi in a coffee shop or hotel, anyone on that network can get your traffic. Do you really trust all of those strangers? For that matter, do you really trust your ISP? A VPN can protect you from prying eyes, disguise your location, and even foil government censors. It's essential in this day and age. So go to vpn.pagosity.tv and you'll be taken to BoxPN. Starting at just $2.99 a month, you can get unlimited high-speed connections to VPN servers all over the world. And they don't log connections, so your privacy is assured. Traveling abroad, just VPN home, and don't worry about what those other governments are doing. Back at home, stop your ISP from traffic shaping and messing with the quality internet access you're paying good money for. You can connect from multiple machines at once, including your smartphone or tablet, and it supports all the secure standards, including OpenVPN and SSTP. Bypass sensors and surveillance with your own secure VPN connection. Go to vpn.pagosity.tv. Glenn Greenwald is someone we've been following for years, mostly as the lead journalist behind the Edward Snowden revelations. We followed him as he created The Intercept to hopefully make things more free for journalists and whistleblowers. Up to the point where they drummed down Greenwald after his intense criticism of The Intercept, and in particular editor-in-chief Betsy Reed revealing the identity of NSA whistleblower reality winner. So he went to Substack. And now, guess what? Journalists are demanding that Substack start censoring its journalists when they go against the orthodoxy. As you might guess, Greenwald had a thing or two to say about it. 
At a time when the contemptible behavior of mainstream journalists is turning viewers and readers away in droves, they're feeling the strain of the competition. So they have two choices. They can either do a better job, or they can try and get rid of the competition. Guess which way they're opting for. Greenwald points out that journalists have abandoned their role as defenders of free expression to become censorship advocates, equating any criticism with harassment, abuse, and violence. Greenwald wrote, It is not just culturally stigmatized, but a banning offense, perhaps even literally criminal, to critique their journalism on the ground that any criticism of them places them in danger. Under this rubric they want to construct, they can malign anyone they want, ruin people's reputations, and unite to generate hatred against their chosen targets. But nobody can even criticize them. He mentions a prediction of Stephen Miller back in November saying, it's only a matter of time before the MediaTek hall monitors turn their attention to Substack. That prediction is now coming true. Greenwald wrote, They cannot stand the fact that journalists can break major stories and find an audience while maintaining an independent voice, critically questioning, rather than obediently reciting the orthodoxies that bind them, and, most of all, without playing their infantile in-group games and submitting to their hive-mind decrees. In fact, the more big stories you break while maintaining your independence from them, the more intense is the contempt they harbor for you. That explains, among other things, their willingness to watch Julian Assange, who has broken more major stories than all of them combined, be imprisoned for publishing documents. He focuses on Ryan Broderick, who was actually fired for serial plagiarism from BuzzFeed, so that should tell you how terrible he is. He couldn't even meet their incredibly low standards. He wrote an article on what he called the Substackerati, saying, quote, Greenwald is part of a cadre of writers who position themselves as neither left or right wing, instead focusing on culture war Twitter drama about being canceled and trans people in bathrooms and woke college students to make the actually very standard and traditional right wing status quo that they're defending sound slightly less tedious. Other writers in this network are people like former New York Times columnist Barry Weiss, Andrew Sullivan, Jesse Single, and, I'd argue, Slate Star Codex writer Scott Alexander Siskind as well. There are more. Broderick lamented how lenient Substack's terms of service are and wrote, Right now, most of the abuse being carried out by this group is confined to Twitter, but it stands to reason that it will all eventually spill over to Substack and dealing with people like Greenwald is going to be much harder to moderate than your average troll. Greenwald responded to, quote, Marvel at the towering irony that a journalist who spent years at BuzzFeed doing absolutely nothing of value and then got fired for serial plagiarism, again, he got fired for ethical breaches by BuzzFeed, is now, with a straight face, holding himself out as the guardian and defender of real journalism. Even more amazingly, he believes he is fulfilling that role by demanding that I, not a journalist, but just a troll who is the enemy of real journalism, despite having more impactful scoops in journalism awards, and, as I detailed yesterday, resulting persecution campaigns from governments, than all of these petulant, fragile babies combined, be silenced in the name of saving journalism and protecting real reporters like him and his friends from harassment. Broderick was actually applauded by other journalists, including, disappointingly, by TechDirt's Mike Masnick, quote, 
I've been warning people for a while that Substack was going to go through its own content moderation crisis. It's a rite of passage for any platform. Google's Vice President of Privacy Product Management, Rob Leathern, responded, Yep, these policies can't be afterthoughts anymore for serious businesses. UCLA Professor of Information Studies Sarah Roberts tweeted, Substack is a dangerous direct threat to traditional news media, but more importantly, it is a threat to journalism. This is why Substack is incredibly dangerous and damaging to the fourth estate, journalism, one of the few fail-safes against anti-democratic maneuvers when at their best. We really can't afford to lose that right now. Please do not write for or pay for Substack. I have to say it, I believe it's dangerous. Take heed, you read it here first. Seriously, follow the link in Greenwald's column to her Twitter thread. She's unbelievably unhinged. Greenwald wrote, I really need someone to explain this to me. Why is it permissible for Ryan Broderick to write articles attacking me and maligning my work, and for New York Times front page reporter Taylor Lorenz to use her large Twitter platform and recruit all her media friends to attack me as well, or Tybee, Weiss, Single, Sullivan, etc., but we are not allowed to write critiques of their work because doing so constitutes dangerous harassment that must be silenced? Do you see how these online journalists have been taught to think about themselves and the world? Do you see the bottomless sense of entitlement and self-regard and fragility that defines who they are and how they behave? They specialize in trying to ruin people's reputations and wreck their lives. Not just other journalists, but private citizens. But the minute someone objects to their journalism or what they say or do, they summon a team of teachers, psychologists, therapy dogs, digital police officers, and tech executives to demand that their critics be silenced and their anguish be treated. They really do believe that the world should be organized so as to authorize them to attack whoever they want while banning anyone who criticizes them when they do it. The Twitter mob attacked Greenwald so much that his name trended. He wrote, I know I do reporting and express views and analysis that make others angry and generates intense disagreement. The result is that many journalists use their social media platforms and columns to attack me. And that's how it should be. It would never occur to me to crawl to authorities and beg them to be silent so that I am protected from the bile and threats that I receive as a result. And that's to say nothing of the actual recriminations, state-sponsored attacks, and credible threats of violence that have been and still are directed at me and my family by actually repressive governments and their followers for the reporting I have done. That's one reason I have nothing but contempt for the pathetic efforts of these influential journalists to cast themselves as victims of harassment campaigns, by which they mean being criticized, when I and so many other real journalists have endured and continue to endure retaliation greater than what their coddled, fragile brains could even ponder, let alone have to endure. As for Broderick's accusations, he wrote, any even casual reader of mine knows that I have rarely, if ever, even mentioned, let alone focused on, trans people in bathrooms or woke college students in the reporting and analysis I do here. As examples, he linked to, quote, My reporting on efforts in Congress and security state agencies to institute a new domestic war on terror. An interview with a French Muslim civil liberties activist warning of French President Marcon's increasing repression. The ongoing militarization of the American capital. The abuse of tech monopoly power and political influence to destroy a new social media platform. 
the case for pardoning NSA whistleblower Edward Snowden, the threats to press freedom posed by Julian Assange's prosecution, growing U.S.-Russia tensions, the dangers of military rather than civilian control over the Pentagon, the noble challenge posed to hedge funds by GameStop Redditors, how and why the withdrawal of troops from Afghanistan is being blocked, systemic flaws in the U.S. on vote counting processes, and on and on and on. And that's to say nothing of the years of reporting and investigation I have been doing and still am on the various abuses of the industrial, agriculture, and factory farm industry. So many of these journalists are completely unmoored from any ethical constraints or obligations of truth. When they are writing about the enemies of their media clique, they feel completely free to outright lie about people in order to malign them, in between demanding censorship of those they claim spread disinformation. Those lies include Broderick's claim that Greenwald is a, quote, right-wing culture warrior, something Greenwald expertly refutes with another bunch of links. But then these same people call Alan Dershowitz right-wing, which should tell you everything you need to know. Greenwald explains, The reason these little hall monitors do not consider this to be real reporting is because they do not care about, except when they venerate, real power centers like security state agencies, CIA, FBI, NSA, DHS, or the Pentagon, Wall Street hedge funds, Silicon Valley monopolies, repressive regimes. They think reporting means writing what those agencies and power centers tell them to say, or ruining the reputations of people for saying bad words on 4chan and expressing prohibited thoughts with Facebook memes and clubhouse chats. That is all they recognize as journalism. Everything else is harassment because real reporting makes the lives of elites and people who wield real influence more difficult. Those traditional left-right labels have no real currency or cogency. That is why this serial plagiarist can refer to me as a right-wing culture warrior despite everything I have done and believe and have it not be regarded as bizarre by his media comrades. That is the stunted, blinkered prism on which they rely to make sense of the world. The real division here is between those who believe in a free internet, free discourse, free thought, and those who do not. Between those who want corporate journalistic elites to control what people can say and think, and those who do not. It is really a war between liberty and authoritarianism, and amazingly, it is journalists who have become the leading proponents of repression. Do you have children or nieces or nephews? Are you homeschooling or just want to counter some of the socialist indoctrination most children get in school? If so, go to bogosity.tv slash Tuttle Twins and you'll be taken to a website where you can get some great books for elementary age children. The Tuttle Twins books are books about liberty and free market economics that include children's versions of Bastiat's The Law, Leonard Reed's I Pencil, and Hayek's The Road to Serfdom, as well as books about the Federal Reserve and how regulations protect business cronies. They'll learn about the harm caused by eminent domain or regulations passed in the name of safety and fundamental concepts of liberty. And as you can see from the sample pages on the website, they're all easy to read and nicely illustrated. They're just $9.99 a piece, or get a special discount as well as free bonuses when you purchase all five. You can even buy in bulk to donate to schools and local libraries. So get the Tuttle Twins books at bogosity.tv slash Twins. And now it's time to extubate this week's Biggest Bogon Emitter. 
Oh my god, Gavin Newsom, are you going for some kind of record here? After four idiot extraordinaires over the past year? He takes his first biggest bogan emitter, but it's particularly dumb at a time when there's a recall petition against him. He basically told Californians that, no matter what happened with COVID, they were never getting back to normal. The lockdowns will continue indefinitely because inequality or something. After standing in the middle of Dodger Stadium, still wearing a mask even though it was completely empty, he commented, You know, when this pandemic ends, and it will end soon, we're not going to go back to normal. Because I think we all agree, normal was never good enough, and normal accepts inequity. That's why Latinos are dying from COVID at a higher rate than any other racial or ethnic group. As anyone who remembers as far back as a little bit earlier in this episode knows, the poor, including racial minorities, are affected by lockdowns the most. And maybe, just maybe, the reason they're dying more is because they've had their businesses destroyed, their health care wrecked, while Newsom and his rich white cronies enjoy their high-priced meals without even having to wear masks. Left unnoticed, of course, is the fact that men are dying at a higher rate than women, because that doesn't fit the narrative, of course. Reactions were unimpressed. Columnist John Ziegler tweeted, They aren't even trying to hide it anymore. COVID is being used to instill socialism via fascism. This was thought to be a conspiracy theory in 2020, and yet it could not be more real. Inequity means unequal outcomes to King Gavin, though his riches are fine, not opportunities. Just Luciano tweeted, We're going back to normal, and you're getting recalled. Numerous other tweets echoed the same sentiment. Others, like Peculiar Baptist, had the opposite opinion. We're not going back to normal, we're going back to communism. Hashtag recall Gavin Newsom. And unrepentant capitalist tweeted, Once again, the leftists say the quiet part out loud. Newsom also opined, and while essential workers' wages aren't enough for them to afford the essentials. Well, geez, maybe if you stopped taxing and regulating them to death, that wouldn't be the case. You don't think it has anything to do with the fact that California has the third highest cost of living in the U.S. behind D.C. and Hawaii? The highest gas prices in the country, as we've covered, thanks to your hideous gas taxes? And one of the highest housing costs in the country, almost twice as expensive as the nationwide average? California's livable wage is $57,000 a year. Maybe if his wonderful government didn't keep making things so expensive, things might be different, you think? Quote, And why mothers have been leaving the workforce in staggering numbers. Uh, what? If mothers are leaving the workforce, isn't that their choice? Or is it because your lockdowns are forcing them out? He bleated, quote, I remain determined. And I just want you to know, we're not going to change course just because of a few naysayers and doomsayers. So the California critics out there who are promoting partisan political power grams with outdated prejudices and rejecting everything that makes California truly great, we say this. We will not be distracted from getting shots in arms and our economy booming again. This is a fight for California's future. 
Whatever, Newsom. Your wonderful Democrats have been in power in California for decades. Before you took office over two years ago, Jerry Brown was governor for eight years. Arnold Schwarzenegger of the progressive wing of the Republican Party, who was only a Republican because he ran after a recall, had eight years. Gray Davis, the recall in question, for five. In fact, you have to go back to Pete Wilson to find a conservative in charge. And the Democrats have held supermajorities in the legislature for more than a decade and majorities in both chambers since 1996. The biggest metro areas, L.A. and San Fran, have had decades of Democratic control, the latter for seven years under Newsom himself, and there the costs and disparities are largest. So how exactly did California get to be so inequitable, Newsom? You can't blame the other guys when they weren't the ones in charge. You'll have to explain that to the electorate during the recall, Newsom. Over 2 million Californians have signed the recall petition, and if the 84% validity rate holds, that's enough to trigger a recall election. It could drop to 75% and they'd still have the 1.5 million needed. After final certification, the recall election will be held within 60 to 80 days. If Newsom keeps slinging it like he is, not even California voters will be snowed enough into keeping him in office. So that just has to make him this week's biggest bogani emitter. I want to tell you about the eyeglasses I've been wearing for years. As people can see on my videos, I have a very strong prescription, which makes glasses more expensive, especially when I need computer glasses, reading glasses, prescription sunglasses, and most expensively, progressive lenses for general everyday wear. To save money while still getting quality glasses, I get them from Fermu. In fact, I just got a pair of progressives with high-index aspherical lenses and a nice pair of frames my wife loves for just over $100. It would have been $500 to get them through my eye doctor. Not only do they look good, the glasses are durable. I've worn many pairs for several years without problems. All orders come with a 30-day return policy, a 3-month warranty, and one-on-one -on -one customer service. Go to Firmoo, that's F-I-R-M-O-O dot Bogosity dot TV, anytime you need quality glasses at a low price. Once again, that's Firmoo dot Bogosity dot TV. And now let's securitize this week's Idiot And this week it goes to Kentucky Senator David Carroll, who we're doubly calling an idiot because of his new bill, which would make it a crime to, get this, insult a police officer. Kentucky Senate Bill 211 would add a section that reads, A person is guilty of disorderly conduct in the second degree when in a public place and with intent to cause public inconvenience, annoyance, or alarm, or wantonly creating a risk thereof. He accosts, insults, taunts, or challenges a stupid law enforcement officer with offensive or derisive words. Note that this only applies to moron police officers. You can insult civilians all you want. We're built of sterner stuff, not like the delicate little flowers police officers are. The bill covers such behavior, quote, that would have a direct tendency to provoke a violent response from the perspective of a reasonable and prudent person. Wait a minute! 
What would provoke a violent response from a reasonable and prudent person? Reasonable and prudent people don't resolve issues with violence. The only time a reasonable and prudent person would use violence is in self-defense. And police can already do that. They have much greater privileges to do that than the rest of us, in fact. Unless he's admitting that police officers aren't reasonable and prudent people and will respond violently when it's completely unwarranted. The offense is defined as a Class B misdemeanor, which in Kentucky means it's punishable by up to 90 days in jail and a fine of up to $250. If the police jackass is insulted during a riot, the penalty is increased to a minimum of three months and be ineligible for parole or any other form of early release prior to 45 days. It also carries a definitive fine of $250 and disqualification from receiving public assistance, including cash benefits and EBT, for three months. And note that that part just has to be during a riot. The person doesn't even have to be an actual rioter or doing anything else wrong. The bill was approved by the Imbecilic Senate 22-11. CBS News reached out to Carroll, a retired police blockhead himself, but the halfwit declined to respond. Instead, the Cretan said in an email, quote, After looking at your headline, Y-O-U apostrophe R-E headline, I don't think I have anything to say to you. I miss the time when we actually had unbiased journalists. Okay, Boomer. The ACLU of Kentucky called it an extreme bill to stifle dissent. Attorney Corey Shapiro said, quote, The idea that the legislature will be criminalizing speech in such a way is offensive. Verbally challenging police action, even if by insult or offensive language, is a cornerstone of democracy. And the First Amendment protects people's ability to express themselves, even if it's using offensive words to mush-brained police. Okay, I think I might have put in the mush-brained part myself. Can't help it. Sorry. If it passes the state house, then petulant police infants will be able to arrest anyone who calls them the duty heads they are. Carroll should probably pass a bill making it illegal to insult Kentucky senators, because he's going to hear it after this. I wonder what we get for calling him this week's... Idiot Well, that wraps up this I Will Not Be Associated with Saucers edition of the Bogosity Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please go to donate.bogosity.tv for several ways to support and discord.bogosity.tv to join the discussion. Subscribe at Patreon or Subscribestar and you can listen early and ad-free. Thank you for listening. Until next time, here's a quote from Robert Heinlein. How can I possibly put a new idea into your heads if I do not first remove your delusions? The Bogosity Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution on Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License. Bogosity. We live in a world where light bulbs connect to the internet, and recent attacks on them prove that your online security is under threat like never before. Not only your websites, but the internet-enabled devices you buy. And the biggest problem is weak passwords. That's why you need LastPass. LastPass allows you to randomly generate strong, unique passwords on the web and on your internet-enabled devices, all protected by one master password. 
LastPass sets up in minutes and gives you secure automatic logins throughout the web, synchronizing across all your browsers, all your computers, and even your mobile devices, at home, at work, or on the road. It even securely stores sensitive form data, including credit card numbers, backup sensitive documents, software licenses, Wi-Fi logins, and more. And with LastPass Premium, you can get these benefits on other applications, manage passwords for your entire family, and also get priority customer support. Sign up at password.bogosity.tv for a free month of LastPass Premium. Log in securely everywhere using the last password you'll ever have to remember. Go to password.bogosity.tv and get LastPass now.